Hey guys, this is Jesus, one of the following Patreon listeners. Mike's Mime, Brownie Davis, Kevin Lovecraft, Nelson Harrow, Matt Benjamin, Alexander Klaus, Rogue's Retreat, Thomas Seymour Turner, John H. Perry, and Jonah Levine. Thanks for helping this hero reach her moment of triumph. But first, tell us how you kick the crap out of, out of some, some bad guys with bats. Give us a oh. cool hero moment to lift our spirits. Yeah, and this is this is like revenge for the the last time that she met folks like this, and they were all like shh, enforcing her to be be silent. I, uh, not to mention, it's kind of that reaching that breaking point of you know she's at kind of her lowest right now. This is so soon after uh, the the downfall, so she's just she's letting it rip, and uh, the force of her voice is so strong that it crushes the U-Haul with people inside of it, like a tin can. Um, so it is here that the villain, or that the hero is confronted at last by the villain, who makes themselves known by striking deep at the heart of the hero. There is a battle that happens. Lives are lost, destruction spreads, and hero, Siren, you are beaten back for now. You will come back. Heroes always do. But this is your downfall. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask everyone involved has a series of questions. Um, first off, I want the introduction to our villain. And then we're going to ask some, some, some wonderful questions to flesh all of this out. So you said your mother, uh, the woman who works with your mother is Maureen. Yes. And it's my grandmother. Yeah. And your grandmother's name is? Uh, we're going to make her, uh, Betty Silverman. I was named for her. You turn on the TV and it is a generic newscaster. Somebody you don't really recognize, but does anybody really recognize newscasters unless they're really popular? And as you, you know, toss your hat, pull off your jacket and you turn away, the uh, newscasters catches your catches you by surprise when he says, hey, hey, hey don't turn away from me. And uh, uh, Elizabeth, at this point, will will turn back around slowly. And you notice a very small camera on top of your TV aim that's not there usually. And the newscaster looks around and then nods his head and says, yeah, I think she's paying attention. Yeah. And that's when, like, the scene behind him deconstructs. Someone pulls the green screen away. The desk is rolled away. The, and it's just a black warehouse. And suddenly, being pushed on by a, on a roller seat is poor Maureen, uh, Maureen, who is duct taped, and she has one of those uh, devices around her neck, the ones that you saw from the very beginning. And stepping up behind her is, you don't see his face first, just a man in a large tan uh, leather coat. He wears black slacks, a uh, black shirt button up, and he's uh, has a yellow tie. And he says, Hi there, Scarlet. Siren. It's interesting that you chose the name Siren. You know, these days, people look upon you as some sort of savior, but that's because they don't know the classics. You you know the classics, right, Scarlet Siren? Sirens weren't some helpful, benevolent, benevolent creature. No. They lured the innocents to their shores, crashed their ships, drank the dead. And that's what you do. No matter what. You just crash the shores and drink the dead. Well, Scott, Scarlet, and he leans forward, and it's a man. His face comes in, and you notice two things about him. First, his face looks incredibly burned. Definitely a burn victim of some sort. And as he turns his head, you notice that he has, definitely looks like some cochlear implants. But what happens when the dead comes back? Just one of them. And he decides to get his revenge. And he lays his chin on top of Maureen and says, Now we're going to have a little fun. 
just like old times. Because you don't recognize me, no. I'm just one of the faceless goons that you didn't catch like that little man at the dorms. <sighs> well, even the dead have their secrets. Maureen's going to die in the next ten minutes. Unless you meet me at Hemgrove Park. Right now there is a street festival. Just look for my tie. We have a lot to talk about. Nine minutes. And it takes you exactly eight minutes running to get there. I wouldn't try getting an Uber. Your cellular service seems to be lacking today. And he stands up, straightens up, and then he pushes Maureen off the screen and walks off. He's asking you to f meet him at Hemgrove Park during the festival. And so we have some questions. Of course. And then uh, technically, because of gameplay mechanics, there is a really horrible thing that also happens that I'm unbelievably excited about. <laughs> I'm so glad that my pain excites you, Jeff. It does. It really does. And you're going to try and make me feel bad, and you're not going to succeed. <laughs> uh, okay, so we have some questions. Hero, I have some questions for you first. First off, what piece of yourself most scares you, and how do you see that amplified in the villain? Let's see. Uh, it is her recklessness. Uh, the impulsiveness and the recklessness, uh, you know, it's not just her powers. That's definitely part of her, her mundane life as well. So, and, uh, obviously, uh, this, this villain seems like he's got some of the, the same things going on. I mean, who takes over a news broadcast and sneaks a camera into somebody's house and uses all of these incredibly, manipulative and public and dangerous uh, uh, outlets. Awesome. So next question, what weakness are you afraid will be discovered and how does the villain wield it? So aside from my familial connection that he's obviously already discovered, uh, she definitely has a, a weakness for uh, bad boys. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Who doesn't? Right, I, this is this is true. I mean, familiar weaknesses. He knows her life. Yeah, that's a pretty oh, good. Oh, okay. One right so I can go with that, even though he's very obviously yeah. discovered it. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's the the weakness because uh, she does in some way, like some part of her that she's not proud of. Uh, she does think that inviting all these these other people into her life and still associating with them is dangerous and uh you know the the classic sort of i don't want to get anybody else involved because you might get targeted by the villain and hey that feels really justified right now mm -hmm. that it does um so i have two questions my first question is what part of the hero most scares me and what in the villain is the worst version of that there is a real violence to the siren that we've seen. Like we've seen that they, that like there is a, a destructiveness, right? Like we are we are well aware of like the the chaos and, and destruction that she can cause, and the villain is the pure embodiment of like what that destruction looks like, both on a personal level, like what your presence in the city does to a person, but also that like they're doing everything that they're going to do to hurt you. Like it is you that has brought this on. And that is, that is frightening to us because it is this embodiment of your destructive nature. My second question is what is my biggest fear for the city and how does the villain embody that? I am afraid that everywhere we've gone, you know, there have been people like looking out for each other. There is a, a familial nature to Scarlet City. You know, we've had the families in, 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 we've had the families moving into school. We've had the, the friends and families and tourists, like, walking the luxury district. We have the very kind of tight-knit community of Miller's Kitchen and these sort of big communal, you know, 
chambers of commerce and homeowners associations in Bendis Haven. We like people have been looking out for each other and the fear here that I'm afraid of for the city that the villain kind of embodies is that like that's going to be severed or that that's going to be used to cause harm like that that's going to be mutated into either a like a ruthless sense of self-determinism or a a sense of fear of making connections to people and and this act this villain seems to be this embodiment of that so villain you've heard the answers from the hero in the city which means we have three questions for you what power do you crave and how are you going to seize it my power that i crave it's revenge revenge is its own power i don't want money i don't want six fame i want to ruin the scarlet siren and there's that's it's that's its own power where he doesn't even he's not afraid even about his own self as long as his goal is to ruin them and ruin her image so that's what he's been doing everything he's been doing is to uh slowly but surely ruin her image he's made so made it so people have been put in danger and that she's had to kill someone on accident he's made it so that no matter what something has been exploded uh twice and has called collateral collateral damage he's tried scaring off her local diner so they won't know want to be with her and he's also kidnapped this woman who works closely with her who's kind of a confidant his entire goal is to ruin this woman personally, professionally, everything. Um, what insurmountable odds will the hero have to overcome to defeat you? It's not about if she can defeat me. Is if, if It's if her reputation will survive by the end. Good answer. Good answer. Um, and lastly, but most importantly, what hidden weakness do you hope the hero never finds? Diabetes. <laughs> Just trying to think of a good. Oh, it got real. <laughs> Diabetes affects too. No, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey, gang. I'm Jeff Stormer. We've had some fun here today. Oh, I know one. Um, he doesn't want her to find out the source of his power. Each time that these attacks have taken place, it's been taking place like a week or two afterwards. It's not something that's always been like immediately right after, then immediately right, right after. There's something that slows him down from keep going, especially during these large scale riots that he's performing, that makes it so it takes time for him to get this what mystery juice uh, up and running for a large amount of people. So he doesn't want her to figure out where he pro- what what he's producing. I love it. I love it a lot. And so now we 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 cut to the siren racing to racing to the park. You know, you've got eight minutes. And now here's when I said a horrible thing was going to happen. Here's what happens as you are racing. Here's what you are kind of confronted with. Um, I if we were playing in person, I would hand this deck of cards over to the villain. Each of these cards represents a person in the city or a place in the city or something about the city. Um, you have saved or encountered, Hero, you have saved or encountered five people. We have five cards here in front of us. That is your renown. You have a renown of five. The villain is then now going to just permanently remove five cards from this deck. These cards are gone forever. The, the the king of clubs, the queen of spades, the jack of spades, the ten of hearts, and the eight of diamonds are just pulled from the deck. They're never coming back. So as you are running, you are hearing reports of riots happening all over the city. You know, explosions going off. There is chaos and carnage happening that, like, you have to kind of ignore because it's there's just too much going on. It's all there as this kind of ultimate distraction to like draw you from making it to this park on time the city is hurt the city is dam is irreparably damaged by the emergence by the final emergence of this villain i've i take the deck back and now uh 
our next our next the next moment of play is the city takes a moment of silence to mourn our losses the hero takes a moment of silence to deal with your failure and the villain uh you are going to let the city and the hero have this moment so do i describe how i how that all happens or yeah, 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 please give us give us the description and then we'll have our moment of silence and then we will build to our grand finale. As you're running as fast as you can, Angela, and you're out of breath, you're exhausted. Um, and finally, you get to the front of the festival and it's completely vacant, seeing as there's a riot and explosions going on. It looks like everybody just scattered uh, and tried to get away. You see a couple people arguing and, you know, they crash their cars, but you don't really pay them a lot of mind. But as you run into the center of this festival, you notice that there is a stage in the very middle and there is a band still playing and they look terrified uh, because there are a couple goons with guns aimed at them. And as you are just get right there, you see a man trench coat burns on his face, yellow tie, and he just smiles at you. And the woman, uh, the woman, the singer says, don't speak, don't speak, don't speak. And you just see he holds up his uh, something in his hand and it's a speak. It's like a walkie talkie. And you see the gauge going up, up towards the red. And as she hits that last note and you try to scream in order to, you know, blast him, you're out of breath. You're too exhausted to scream at him. And it hits the red and that coincides with another explosion in the distance. And as soon as that happens, uh, you look away and that's when, you know, the goons start firing at you. But you can easily take them out after a second. But it's enough for the villain to escape. Uh, and just disappear. And the only thing that is left where he's standing is the ID of Maureen. And with a, a, a with a black, uh, with a, uh, a cross around her lips that says for a uh, hushed with an ED. How's that? Was that good? <laughs> good. Okay, I just want to make good. sure you're like, uh, no, you've, you've. No, no, no. That was that was that hit that hit that hit hard. So now we're gonna take a moment of silence, hero. You and I are gonna take a moment of silence to deal with what has happened, and then we will then we will move towards the final uprising. All right. So now what happens? Is I am going to I'm gonna hold this in front of the camera and tell you and tell you what this represents. Normally, in, if we were playing in person, I would place this card in front of you. Uh, I would hand this hand this card to you. Here is the other Joker. This represents the uprising. This is your decision to come back and move forward and make it right and rise to the occasion. The truth is, hero Scarlet Siren, we need you. Scarlet City needs you. We need you now more than ever. You know, you we believe in you because when 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 people in power couldn't be there for us, you were there. When it didn't matter if it didn't matter if we were wealthy or not. It didn't matter if we were upper class, lower class, working class. It didn't matter. It didn't matter if we were local or from out of town. It didn't matter if we were young or old. You were there. You you stepped up time and time again to help the people that needed it. You know, we 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 are a city that looks out for each other and you are really the embodiment of that. The fact that you have Scarlet in your name really represents to us that you were there for us when we that we're one of us and you know we the people of miller's kitchen like your neighborhood no no one somebody could have stepped up and said hey i know i know that face that's 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 elizabeth silverman and no one stepped up because you are one of us that's what this card represents 
this card represents you, you being one of us and stepping up and helping us when we need it the most. And so when you are ready, if we were playing in person, when we are when you are ready, you would take the Joker and shuffle it back into the deck. So all I will say instead is that when you are ready, tell me to shuffle this Joker back into the deck and declare that you are going to make your uprising. All right. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm ready to keep going. Okay. Well, then I'm going to shuffle this back into the deck. Uh, you are going to thank the city, promise that you won't let them down, and because I can promise you, hero, you will not. I, I definitely appreciate the vote of confidence. Okay, so now uh, I'm going to pull the next card off the deck. I'm going to describe the next location. Um, going forward, the narration changes. The city is wounded. The, vi- the, the, the villain's influence fills every gap and every line of description. But know that that card is in here. That uprising card is in here. And we will flip it, and you will overcome, and you will save the day. I flipped the Jack of Hearts. The Jack of Hearts, as a location, is somewhere peaceful. That feels appropriate. That feels needed. You have encountered someone in need. Someone who can help them on their journey to defeat the villain. Someone that can help you on your journey to defeat the villain, but who needs something from you first. When you arrive here, uh, we are going to perform the following. This is a heart, so we're going to put this in the college area. Um, and this is, I think, I think we see another one of those gangs from earlier. The, 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 one, of that, one of those big U-Haul trucks, except now, rather than like it being discreet, it has been turned into a Mad Max vehicle. <laughs> um, I'm saying I'm using this as a point of reference, not just because I know that the three people on this call will appreciate it, but it's because it's the reference point that popped into my head. This is essentially a van full of purgers. Yes. The only way that I can describe this. Um, A bunch of people with spiked bats and scary masks are tearing down a city. Um, The person in need here, what they need... Uh, yeah, like that is that is what is unfolding. And I think we see this, the, the, the siren we see, you know, that is what the university has kind of turned into. It's kind of gang warfare. But you're able to dispatch that easily enough. Because I think what has happened is the person that you are meeting here is someone that needs a friend, someone to listen and i think this is this is ally carhammer she is 19 she is a sophomore in college and this has been the worst month of her life and i think like uh she is i think you find her hiding from this van full of purgers um so i think i'm going to ask you to describe how you quickly dispatch this threat <laughs> and then give us this moment. Uh, I'm going to ask you in a moment to give us this. Give us a moment between you and Allie. But first, tell us how you kick the crap out of out of some some bad guys with bats. Give us a oh. cool hero moment to lift our spirits. Yeah, and this is this is like revenge for the the last time that she met folks like this, and they were all like shh, and forcing her to be be silent. I. Uh, not to mention it's kind of that reaching that breaking point of, you know, she's at kind of her lowest right now. This is so soon after uh, the the downfall. So she's just, she's letting it rip. And uh, the force of her voice is so strong that it crushes the U-Haul with people inside of it like a tin can. Oh, that's, that's gruesome and dark and I really love it. Um, and so, yeah, you've saved her. And she's very hesitant to, like, acknowledge it, right? Like, she's kind of, like, keeping a distance from you. She kind of kicks the ground and is like, hey, I thank you, I guess. And there's this moment where you can tell, like, she is... She's just, like, kind of... You can tell she's... She has the face of someone that's about to cry. You know that face? and You can tell the face of someone that's about to collapse in a heap. Yep. And so this is a moment where you need to give someone what they need, and in exchange, they will become an ally. They will be someone that can help you now and in the future. Um, villain, 
in this moment um this is a moment of quiet they uh if the hero were wounded this would be time for them to heal however uh they are unwounded you've done great so far siren <laughs> so they are so this is just a moment of quiet um which mean however note that the threat outside is continuing to build right like uh our our grand villain is still out there Plus, this is just one truck full of these these purgers, as you put it. Excellent reference. Right. Uh, there's there's more than one. There can never be just one. Yeah. Um. Hero, how do you give this person what they need? How, what 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 does that look like in this moment? Uh, you know, she she steps up to approach Allie, and Allie takes a swing at her. Uh, you know. Absolutely, Scarlet Siren bears responsibility for her losing her father. Uh, and so it's one part anger and one part like almost instinctual, like she's been running on adrenaline and fear to try to hide from these folks. It's just like, ah, someone's approaching me. And Scarlet Siren could easily avoid it, but she doesn't. She takes the hit right across her cheekbone. And then she asks Allie, like, did that make you feel better? Like, 100% honest question. Did that make you feel better? And I think she takes another swing. Fair. That one, she's, <laughs> she's going like, to, like, hold up her hand and, and block it. And she, and I think Allie, like, does it and goes, actually, that one kind of did, if I'm being honest. I've been there. I, uh, I take it out on on people and things, too. Like your dad. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I understand whatever complicated feeling you have towards me. And just, just so you know, anytime you feel the need to punch somebody, you can come find me. I'm safer than some of the other trouble that you can get into out here. She kind of is, I think she, she at that, I think that's when she kind of collapses and she kind of falls into your arms and is crying and you have this moment together and we kind of pan over to like a university coffee shop where she is like buying you. I'm sorry. I punched you in the face uh, drink. And she's like, you're telling you about herself. And the thing is, uh, she is a chemical engineer for the city. She's actually, like, on track. She is on track to be valedictorian, right? She's a few years out, but, like, sterling, sterling record, right? She has been, she is, she, she is, uh, fast-tracked to almost, like, any, any science program in the country. And she, uh, so this is the moment where she becomes an ally. She is someone that that has this background that can help you, especially knowing what we know about the, the, the resources that our villain has used. She is someone that I think she gives you some information, right? Like she's like, she kind of, uh, lets slip that like chemicals have been going missing from like university labs and like that things that things are going missing in a way that indicates that like someone in between these like attacks is taking time to recover and make new, like chemical resources. Mm -hmm. Can I say which one uh, those chemicals are? Yeah. There are things that there are chemicals are like blood thinners, things to make things uh, basically to help someone who needs more blood to get more blood. Uh, it basically is uh, an enhancer that you would get like antibiotics to help somebody who deals with anemia. But all of these things are something that a person would get is if they were if you were desperate and you really needed to get as much blood out of a person as possible without killing them, you would be using these chemicals to get that blood out. Dope. Hell yeah. Yeah, I think you, I think um, you understand what now what he, what he's been feeding people. I get it. Um, yeah. So you've learned. She gives you all this insight. She that's pretty much all like what Ali tells you. And she, like, you two kind of hit it off a little bit. Like, you develop a bit of a friendship over this, over this, like, very therapeutic kind of, uh, cup of coffee. And now, going forward, we're, we're, you know, going forward, she is your ally. Um, if at any point 
we flip a heart. If at any point you were uh, saving someone in the university, um, and you need to overcome a threat in that in in the university, if you roll a one, if the villain rolls a one, uh, Ali can co- show up and help you, which allows you to treat the result as a four or five. She will just just be there when you need her to like give you the information you need to save the day. Also, there is a type of card that we did not pull today, that we might still, but we haven't, uh, which is a person in power. That is, if we flip a king, someone in a position of power doesn't like you and will go out of their way to ruin your life. This is a Lex Luthor. This is someone that, like, is like, I don't like. This is a, a, a J. Jonah Jameson. If at any point that person opposes you, and what happens is they make it impo- like they make it harder for you to roll well. Anytime you flip, anytime like you flip that color suit. So if I flip the king of hearts, anytime there's a heart, the university president might try and like stand in your way and it'll be harder to roll that six. If that happens, uh, your ally can sacrifice themselves to destroy that person in power. Uh, Then at which point they are removed from the game and you have lost them forever. But for now, she is your ally. She is there for you. You have her back and she has given you some crucial information. Which means it is time to flip our next card. And it is the Joker. All right. Which means it is time for the uprising. Let's bring it. it. So this is the fi- is all... this this is the final confrontation. This is the final confrontation. Cool. It has all led to this. The hero is back in the villain's place of power. You've refused to stand down and accept defeat. Your losses hang heavy in the air, but it is time to finish this. The downfall is over. It is time for the uprising. Uh, Villain, you are going to take the reins here. Describe your place of power at the height of your glory. What does your villainous base look like? What does your center stage look like? What? Where are we for this final battle? Where? What? It, set the scene for us. I definitely think this is not something he was prepared for. He wanted this to be in the middle of whatever the equivalent of Madison Square Garden. But honestly, since Allie, her name is Allison or Allie, you're you're Uh, Allie. Allie Carhammer. When she brought up the chemicals being missing, it took you not that hard. It didn't take you that long to find someone stealing said chemicals and following them. And what it leads you down, uh, lead you to is to the outskirts of the city. And as you are moving there and following this, this is not a purge van. It actually seems like the purge purge mobiles uh, are the biggest distraction. This is just a Nissan. Um, and it's an old factory. And as you're getting closer, you start remembering this used to be your kind of stomping grounds early on as a hero when you were first trying out your abilities and failing and doing your things. And as you get closer to this old warehouse, it seems like it hasn't seen a person in a couple, at least a decade. It's burnt. There's definitely been fire damage. And it's just no one has taken the time to destroy this building uh, because it's just not it's not in a good spot anyways. And you remember you remember there's something about this place that just kind of strikes a chord with you. And then you recall that this was the first place that you accidentally took a life with your powers. Bunch of druggies, bunch of, you know, wannabe thugs were here trying to make super cocaine or whatever in some of the old vats. And like that car hammer guy, you, you shot, you yelled at one on a catwalk and he fell down and broke his neck. He fell into one of the vats, scalded himself. He died on the scene. And as you're poking around and you're looking around, you see it is filled with thugs walking around, a lot of with nail bats. But you're surprised how silent it is. No one's really making a noise. Like if they're setting something down, they're gently setting it down. If they're putting, you know, if they're talking, they're whispering. And as you look around, you finally see in the very center in a... Uh, kind of a platform where a vat must have used to be uh, sits a person in a surgical uh, chair with tubes coming out of his arms and his arteries. And he's slowly being sucked dry of this blood. 
and the blood is circling and it's filling up. It's it's a blood factory, and it's all just coming from him. And he's just he's just staring forward at the TV, uh, disgruntled. And as it's not very glamorous right now, he's just watching The Price Is Right. And he and it's definitely that man, that burned victim man. And it's it's a really kind of a scene of awkwardness. It's kind of like Superman, how he would feel if he kicked open the door and Lex Luthor was sitting on the toilet. Like, it's just there's no pizzazz about this. This is just a boss, the villain watching the prices right as they drain his blood. And is that uh, do I need to answer anything else, uh, Jeff? Um, yeah, so we have your, so, so you've been cornered by the hero. Um, what you're going to do now is, is confront the hero. You're going to describe, uh, describe what you're seeking, describe the, describe the revenge that you want. Note that, note how often the hero has failed, note the people they couldn't save and challenge them as to why they think they can change things now. As you're sneaking around, being sneaky as always, taking out occasional thugs here and there, suddenly... The man cocks his head, and his this camera zooms in on the ocular implants, and he taps them a few times, and then he starts disengaging from the chair, and he walks over to the platform, kicks over a lever, and the platform starts rising. The TV falls off, crashing, and some of the thugs just look around in silence, and then suddenly uh, you hear a booming voice. Uh a tired voice and there's music playing behind it silent night so you found me i got to admit i'm impressed this is not exactly the uh final countdown that i was counting on but that's okay it's justice in a way it's mm, what's the word is it ironic yes situations are ironic this is where you killed me, Silent, uh, Siren. Just a dumb kid trying to make extra bucks. You blasted me right over the edge. That's all right. The chemicals, they brought me back and changed me. The chemicals turned my blood into something so sweet. That one taste gives people the power that they just crave. But now, it seems that my little revenge story is over. So, let's make this as epic as one can just muster last minute. Let's make this exciting. If you're going to be called the the Scarlet Siren, then just so you know, For the newspapers, call me the Silent Knight. And then you hear the sheathing of a sword, and suddenly coming behind you, almost out of the shadows, is him, and he takes the swing at you. And it's just this big, epic fight of us going through catwalks, you trying to scream. Occasionally, he, like, slams you right in the throat with, like, the hilt of his sword to, like, make it hard for you to, like, scream in his face. But that doesn't matter. You know karate. You're punching him. <laughs> and it's just this big, epic fight. And the entire time, he's just screaming. He, he's just whispering. Every time he gets close to your ear, he whispers. Uh, just, just memories of that night he had of dying, of staring at you, the scared hero trying to play, this scared kid trying to play hero and, you know, how it was his fault and how she's never learned. She's still that reckless little child screaming for a parent to tell her how to control her tantrum. And probably also throwing in like the more recent failures. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. You killed Carhammer, you killed this, you killed this person, you destroyed you these. Couldn't, you couldn't save Maureen. You couldn't even save the poor, the the, the, the addicts that I made uh, fight for me because you just saw them as nothing but the enemy, not victims. They're all victims in this city when you're around. Uh, uh, uh. Awesome. So uh, now it's my turn. Um, I get to tell the hero what they need to hear, the people they did save, how they made this world a better place, uh, what they need to hear to stand up and, and do what they need to do. 
So as you're fighting through this siren, like you're hearing all of this and you're being confronted by, you know, you couldn't save, you couldn't, you killed Henry, you couldn't save Maureen, all of these things. Like you, you are responsible for this villain, for Silent Night being here. And I'm kind of like, you know, he might have a point. (laughs) He might, but at the same time, like, you know, Allie's going to be okay those people big murray big murray's diner the the red brick diner is open for business today and it wouldn't be if it weren't for you you know uh the mall might be damaged but like the people inside walked home you know there were people again and again and again that like for everything that you did you stopped like those people are stronger and safer for having you there if you weren't there they might not be here like and i think you see flashes of all of these people that you did help that you did save this this the difference that you did make and you know um you feel all of this you 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 feel all of this inside you've you you may have played a role in the creation of this but at the same time you helped a lot of people you 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 say you prevented a lot of harm and that is what matters in this moment all right yeah and so hero this is your moment you get to save the day you think about the na- think about the names of the people that you saved think about how you helped people in need hear what the villain has to say hear what the city has to say honor those you couldn't save by standing tall in this moment Describe how you fight, describe how you win, and then we move on to the end game. So as, uh, you know, for every time that Silent Night mentions a failure of hers, uh, ultimately Scarlet Siren has a flash of these people that she's helped. Uh, yes, she tore apart the, the, the mall in the luxury district, but all those people got to remove their, the bombs around their neck. Uh, yes, she, she did kill, uh, Henry Carmichael, but, uh, his daughter walked away to, to live another day and, you know, she brought down the, the chamber of commerce, but none of the people inside got hurt. Even the people that didn't believe that she was helping the city. Big Murray giving her her breakfast. The breakfast is very important. That figures big and big in her, her memories, uh, it's the, it's the, um, the kids in, in the, in Murray's kitchen, uh, or not Murray's kitchen, in Miller's kitchen, who they know who she is now and they invite her to like play hopscotch with them and things like that. Uh, just how much she is part of this community. And finally, she thinks of Maureen and it is heartbreaking that, that she couldn't save Maureen. But Maureen's goodness lives on because just as the people of the city wouldn't be here still if Scarlet Siren hadn't come in to help, it's very possible that Elizabeth's grandmother wouldn't be here if it weren't the kindness of someone like Maureen. And so Scarlet needs to embody that goodness and embody that care for other people uh, that she learned from Maureen. She learned it from her grandmother, but, you know, for these purposes, she learned it from Maureen. And she's going to put all of that, honestly, that love uh, forward. And when she uh, when she lets out one final blast of her voice to push Silent Night away, it is a love song. And Billy, you are way better at coming up with song titles than me. So is there a, a love song that mentions silence or quiet? Um, I had my songs picked out. I'm sorry. So <laughs> I was like, uh, were you, were you Googling? Uh, pff, please. I didn't need Google for a no doubt song. Uh, That's true. I don't think you should be doing a silent song. I think you should be doing something like, sh- like a, like a, like a shout, something about like loudness being, you know, you're loud and proud. Like, I don't even know you can, you shout. I want it to be, I want it to be a love song. Of oh, some kind. Well, I don't. You gotta yeah. think of your own thing, man. <laughs> you're stealing my. You're stealing my shtick. You gotta think it. You gotta think of your own stuff. 
No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, uh, I want to come up with a good one because Billy's had so many good ones. Maureen, isn't that a song? I think you have Come On Eileen. No, Maureen, Maureen. Okay, maybe I'm No, that's Jolene. Thing. Okay, Jolene. Well, uh, you know what? Uh, because it is a somewhat bombastic song and it feels cheesy enough for this, uh, we're going to go with love song. Like, literally, she's singing uh, Sarah Bariah's uh, love song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that also because it's I'm not going to write you a love yes. song. Yes. <laughs> and that's his whole deal is right. Is That's very good. So, yeah, that's what she's... Uh, and, you know, we've seen her, you know, every other time that she's used her, her power, it's been like wordless, you know, it's just been these screams, uh, very primal. And this is almost an evolution to something more civilized. You know, maybe she has put behind her this, this tantrum throwing that Silent Night mentions, and she can have more control and, and be more like a person and not just a tool of destruction. So does Silent Night go over the railing that he had gone over those many years ago, the same one? Oh, yes. Now, we need some the, symmetry. Yeah, here's the question. Uh-oh. Uh, he falters for a second, tries to catch it himself, drops the sword, and he goes over a little slower. Does she let him fall to his death again? Or does she not? She does not. Hmm. Good. So you reach out last minute and grab his boot. Yeah, I mean, whether it's purposeful or not, you fall for it. There's definitely that very long moment. It's like when you're tilting back in a chair and there's that second of like, oh, did I go too far back? It might not be on purpose. It also might be on purpose. You know, she's just learning how to be a better person. So there's this little pettiness there. Uh, that you're you're hanging for just a moment longer, your your heart is in your your throat. And then she grabs you. And I think we see you grab the foot. And then we fade. And now we skip. Now we, now we, we, and we, and we, we skip ahead and we move on to until next time. With the villain defeated, the city is at peace. There will be another villain in time. There's always another issue to sell. But for now it is quiet. For now there is only a city. And for now the hero can rest. First, I'm going to describe how the city recovers from the villain's actions. I'm going to describe how the hero's influence makes the city a better place and how their legacy is carried on in the hearts of the people. Um, I think that it... I think that there is... Ironically, in the in the sort of you have caused this, I think, despite what the, the, the Scarlet Protector has said, I think there is a rise in maybe not like outright vigilantism, but in like community support groups. I think that the homeowners association from Kirby street, like spearhead the first of these major kind of like part, not quite a neighborhood watch, but more of like a mutual aid organization called the sirens. (laughs) Um, And it's like a citywide organization of people just looking out for people. It is ordinary people stepping up, doing need. I think the, the first elected uh, siren president is, is Allie Carhammer. Yep. Who is that? Who we we see getting her getting like getting uh, her report card or her transcript and it's straight A's because she's crushing it. Um, and I think that like that uh, the the there's a the, uh, I think we see her on a news interview. I don't even think she joins the sirens. I think what happens is we see her briefly on a news interview, uh, like talking on like a science show about like how to undo the chemical effects of these, like of these blood medicines of this like addictive blood. And she is like guiding the research on how to undo this. And now, uh, however, villain Billy silent night, describe, uh, describe the shadow cast by the villain, even though they are long since defeated. It zooms in towards the supermax wherever it is located. I don't even know if this city's big enough to have a supermax for supervillains, but they have a supermax close by in a cup, you know, in the metropolis version. And uh, as it goes down uh, uh, the twisted hallways through many villains, some of them with uh, weird appendages and, you know, fangs and, and, you know, cursing the guards, it gets to a padded cell. And instead of it actually being padded, uh, you know, it it seems to be muffled um, with uh, foam. 
And he just, when the guard passes, he looks through and there's Silent Night in a prisoner outfit, you know, burned face, glaring uh, towards the window. And he doesn't have those, uh, that in, those implants in his ears anymore. And as the guard like is talking to somebody, maybe the guard's giving a tour to a newbie, it goes to the perception of Silent Night. And there's just this constant hum. It's the only thing he hears, this hum. And you see his eye twitch, slowly, but surely. And as the guard passes, there's a small smile that touches the side of his lip, and he holds out his hand, and and suddenly a rat pokes its nose out, sniffs at his hand, and starts licking at the cut there. And he whispers, that's right, get big and strong. I need you and your friends to dig me out. Ooh. I don't like that. They Ooh. won't. I don't like that. They will not. Silence me. I don't like that one bit. <laughs> I don't like that. Um, and now we come to the final, the final moment of the game. Hero, describe how, for an all too brief moment, you are able to rest. Describe how you celebrate your victory, how you spend your downtime, and how you pay your respects to those who helped you succeed and those that fell along the way. Uh, you see, it, it, she is back to being Elizabeth Silverman. And you see her kind of take a, a greatest hit stroll through the, the city. Uh, you know, she swings by the college district and grabs coffee from uh, her favorite place with Allie. And uh, as she's coming back, she, uh, you know, kind of checks in on the sirens and, uh, you know, kind of wishes them them luck and, uh, some, you know, some uh, support there. And uh, then, you know, walks through Miller's kitchen, swings by the red brick diner, gets uh, two breakfasts to go. And, uh, and she hides the, the coffee from the coffee shop from from Big Murray. He doesn't he doesn't need to know that she went for the fancy stuff, you know, double macchiato and that sort of thing. And uh, finally, she is back at uh, her grandmother's facility where there is a nice memorial at the front desk to Maureen, you know, lots of beautiful flowers and, you know, cards and remembrances. And, uh, and Elizabeth adds one of her, one of her own. Uh, it is, uh, it is a, a sheet of music. Uh, and the, uh, it is, uh, it's whatever Maureen's favorite, favorite song would have been. We're not going to go into that much detail at this point. Uh, but it is, you know, something for, for Maureen's favorite song. And, uh, it's, uh, actually it is signed by the composer. So it is a, a very, and it's like to Maureen, you know, uh, Elizabeth went out of her way to track down something that would hopefully be very meaningful even after uh, Maureen has passed. And, you know, maybe it'll be a comfort to her her family that somebody went out of their way to be so thoughtful um, because Elizabeth didn't sign it. Like, there's no indication that it came from Elizabeth. And, uh, you know, then she just goes and finds her, her grandmother and she kind of took the girl's day out in. You know, she shares breakfast. They both have their coffee. And it's just a, a moment to remember what matters and a moment to connect with family. And I think we pan out on that. And now, Hero, you can at last rest. And we're going to close the book. And if the city needs you again, we will reopen this rule book and play again. But until then, that's game. That's yes. anyone can wear the mask. Woo! Oh, that was fun. Oh, my God. I'm so happy. This is the first time I've played it through to the end, uh -huh. and it played out perfectly, and I'm so overjoyed. <laughs> I'm very I'm so emotional glad. Right I'm now. so glad. We had a fun time, I think, Angela. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah this, is a, <sighs> this is a lot of fun. I It's far more narrative than I'm used to playing, uh, but I Jet, this is, you know, in one part, yeah, I've, I mean, I've played with you before. We even did a superhero game. Uh, so I'm very familiar with your your style, and so this felt very in line with what you you usually do. Like you're such a, a smooth uh, facilitator of games, so it was really fun to be in a almost purely narrative narrative game with you. Like we had the random element for generating the scenes and for how exactly you know how good or bad was the outcome going to be, but the rest of it was all just just talking. And uh, you know, Billy, I know is always capable like every time that he would just bring in another call back it's like no it was it was good for billy to be the villain 
uh, ultimately. Very good. Because uh, we'd been talking earlier, and I usually I love the vil- the villains. The villains I feel are usually the more interesting character than the heroes. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna play the villain. Uh, but Billy did an amazing job, and I think that this particular game really plays to your strengths as a role player of coming up with um, really great through lines. And this game gave you lots of opportunities to come up with different scenarios to allow you to form those callbacks. I had a great time. I had a great time. Uh, I do have like a question or two, just out of curiosity. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so my my entire goal as a villain, because I love the villains who they're not as powerful. You know, I my entire goal was just to ruin the reputation of the Scarlet uh, Siren, um, and it never felt like I was able to quite burst that bubbles. And I was wondering, is like, is there something that? Um, goes i mean she might have just had great roles i was just wondering is there something of some sort of a mechanic where their reputation can go down to the point where the city does respond negatively towards them or 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 is it not not, i'm just wondering it's not in the rules but i could see it uh, i could see it being played as a like as a as a result between the city and the villain of like what happens when you roll poorly and that part of it was that she rolled very well and like caused very little damage to the city because like um the idea like and part of it is there is there is a mechanic for that specifically where if it can kind of only come up after the villain has revealed themselves but there is a mechanic that like if the if you have to shuffle the deck if you run out of cards you shuffle the deck back and then what is called a crisis happens where like all three of us answer a question and it's like, what does the villain really want? How do they get it? What they're well, let me, actually hold on. I'm going to pull up the rules and read the questions exactly. So once the villain reveals themselves, there's a moment where that there's a moment where like you discard those cards and they get permanently removed. If that removes all the cards from the deck and we have to reshuffle then a crisis happens and this would be a real opportunity where like that could happen. Cause let me find the exact questions because I think they're really good and I'm really proud of them. Um, so what happens is the hero asks what the, the hero is asked, what is your greatest fear and how does it come to pass? The villain asks, what power do they hope to obtain and how do they seize it? And the, the city is asked, how do you, what do you hope for the city? Or how do you hope the city, the people of the city will rise to walk in the steps of the hero? So there is a sense of, given that that's what you said you really wanted, if we had run out of cards in that moment, uh, then you would have been able to say like, okay, yeah, then the city has turned on you. And then I could, I could spin that as well. And since you answer before me, I would then be able to spin it into and the city has grown into a place where they don't necessarily need you. And then the hero has to kind of navigate existing in that space. And how common do you think it is for um, you to run out of cards? Uh, I I don't know how many cards uh, we would have to go through in order for them to run out. Um, Um, Pretty. I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm not sure how common that would be. I partially think somewhat because like there is a one in three chance in every scene. I mean, and it depends partially on the the game is written to breaking to breaking down sort of the meta narrative a little bit. I kind of baked it with uh, like two main touch points in mind of Spider-Man and Superman where like the hero could never get hurt. Right. Like Superman never really gets hurt, but like Metropolis takes damage and that kind of reflects onto Superman. So like if that were to happen and the hero kept rolling a two or three result and kept being like, I'm taking collateral damage, I'm damaging the city, I'm damaging the city, you'd burn through that deck pretty quickly. And the like the 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 uh, the downfall card is always in the bottom half of the deck so you always have at least half of the deck gone by the time that the villain shows up so there's probably a pretty decent chance of it happening like depending on like how many cards you draw so it's never like the first card that you draw is like aha i'm here it's always like you've been here for a while you've caused some damage to the city you've gotten hurt a few times which the um the mechanic for getting hurt is there's a second table that you roll that is or you roll fewer dice and eventually you start rolling dice and taking the worst result. 
So it becomes more likely that you either cause collateral damage or you uh, lose people along the way. You know what would be kind of interesting? And I don't, again, I, I'm learning the mechanics from what you told me and I really like them. But would be really cool as the villain is each time that she does gain those ones or collaterals, um, it would be cool if I got like a I would get like a villain token or you could even say like take a take a villain token collateral of this. And what the villain token would do is like when you would be in those situations where you're like, oh, since you're familiar in this area, you get three dice. I could pay a villain token to say, like, I'd rather her just roll two dice. That's really interesting. So basically, I, really like I would be able to accumulate stuff to just keep on like reducing it down. She can never not, like not roll something. It's always like I can bring it down to one. And that would be really useful because occasionally when it was like, oh, yeah, you're fighting in your your local diner and it's like roll three dice. I'm like, well, I did roll one, two ones and a six. But there's a large chance that she's just going to wipe the floor with me. But if I was a villain and you know I've been collecting these things, it kind of feels like I could have a mastermind moment where – I've made it so I've taken away your advantages. Here are my th- two dice. I want to. Here's my two things, and so I'm taking that three dice roll down to one. That 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 would be like the one thing I would love about it. And I loved a lot about this, but I would have loved to have that moment where I'm like, I instead of just rolling to tell her story, here's a little bit of the villain being a mastermind, a little bit of strategy. Yeah, but that's like, like I, exactly I don't want too saying. much of that because it's like, this is not, this is very narrative, but I wouldn't mind being able to say like, well, I've played my role. I would love to take these tokens. That's a good, that's a, no, that's, that's really good. And that's like a really strong, like narrative kind of moment. I'm going to keep that in mind. Right. That's very good. But other than that, I had a great time. You know what this is like, even if you're not a role player, this game is good if you're just thinking about making a comic book. Like, I had a great time. I was like, I, I really want the Silent Night to exist. I think he makes a lot of good points about the recklessness of this young hero. Uh, so <laughs> I, I even think this is just a very fun story tool for people who are looking to make their own comic books to play with uh, in order to, like, start working on that first draft. So I had a th- – this is fun. And there is a there is a, a tiny blurb on the end of like you this can be played with one or two players as well as with three and if you play it on your own like there's nothing stopping you from just playing all three roles at once because so much of the game is like prompts of like describe what happens when you do this like so much you could play this as like a solitary journaling experience which would be like a great story generation for like a superhero story that you're writing right yeah. Uh, so this is good for just a party game, a good role-playing thing, something to get the juices rolling. What I think this would be a, the perfect thing for is, like, session zeros for, like, games like Rotted Capes or Masks or uh, Scum and Villainy where you're like, okay, I, I want you to give you a taste of what you were like as a hero before the big we, – we start role-playing role and rolling dice. Let's do this as a session zero to get, like, you a taste of what your character's all about. Yeah, so this establish be, the city, establish the NPCs. Yeah, you, you establish locations, you establish people in it. Yeah, so like I said, this is a great game, but this is also just a good tool for people who want to make their own, uh, like I said, session zeros for, like I said, the, what I wanted to do almost like is this would be perfect for like a game like Rotted Capes, which takes place in the apocalypse of zo- with zombies and superheroes. But this is good for like, I want to know what my character was like during the uh, during the uh the days when there wasn't zombies when this was just superheroes and since i know i'm not going to die and create a paradox uh i i can easily just kind of experience what torchlight or you know to a lesser degree what angelo was saying uh to what her character was what was your character called L- uh gold Goldshot. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Gold, Goldshot experienced before this whole. I like big a lot story. of color-based hero names, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think this is. I think that's like the biggest selling point for this. Like, this is a good I narrative game, but it's also a great way to do your session zeros. And it's it really. I I've. We'll talk. I have things. I have things to share, but we'll share them off mic. For now, we will wrap things up. But I have some some stuff to share. <laughs> Well, I think that's a, a good cue. So uh, I want to thank Jeff so much for, for coming on and sharing this really fun game with us. Uh, Jeff, do you want to take us out? You know, r- Remind us who you are and where else we can find you. 
Yeah, um, anyone can wear the mask. You can pick up right now on jeffstormer.itch.io. Uh, that's jeffstormer.itch.io slash uh, wear the mask. That's uh, wear hyphen the hyphen mask. We'll post um, We'll post a link uh, on this the notes, so you can just find it there as well. Hell yeah. Um, you can also find uh, everything that I do, all the games that I produce, the podcasts that I make, all that kind of stuff at jeffstormer.com. You can also go to uh, twitter.com slash partyofonepod to follow me on Twitter, which is where I tweet about all the stuff that I forget to share about on more professional channels. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again, Jeff. This has been so oh, fun. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Great time. And, uh, you know, we always uh, we always end an episode, Jeff, with a question for our listeners. So what question related to the game itself, to the session we just played, would you like to ask the listeners? I want to ask the listeners. Um, we'll keep it. I'm going to ask the listener. Um, what is... For the uh, if you've listened this far, you probably are a fan of superhero stuff. I think that's pretty fair to guess. I'm gonna ask, what was the superhero story that made you fall in love with superheroes, huh? or the character, or the story? What was what was the thing that made you fall in love with superheroes? Yes, that is uh, a good and question. And why is it the X Men uh, theme song <laughs> from the '90s? That's fair. <laughs> Mine was probably the Tick theme song, oh, but I don't know what that says about me as a person. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and good night. Hey, everybody. This is Billy from Fandible Podcasting Network. Thank you so much for listening. We loved having you here. If you want to follow more of Fandible's crazy hijinks, go to our Twitter or Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Fandible or at Facebook at Fandible. I know. We're creative like that. If you would like to do more and support us, please feel free to go to our Patreon and donate. Uh, your donations help us go to cons, buy materials, and just keep our radio equipment working. Thank you so much, and remember, the Ink Monster wants to eat you!